0: Talk is about
1: to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. This is not the Rants podcast. We're going to delay that for a day. That'll be on Thursday. We're doing the the rapid fire Q and A that we typically do on Thursday. We're going to do that today on Wednesday. Sorry, we're getting this to you late. Just a lot of things happening in the world. Douglas Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. Great questions from our tech subscribers, as always. If you want to join in on the fun, 614-350-3315. You could even wait a little bit because you get a two-week free trial. If you want to chill out and like try it like Maryland week, and we'd get you through the Michigan game, or you could try it Michigan week, and then you'd get two weeks free from Michigan in the Big Ten championship game if Ohio State makes it. That could be worth it, just to see what you think. Or go ahead and fire it off now. We get texts from people that say, hey, I just signed up for the text and I'm sending one off. So we'd love to see it. Love to welcome you. But we also have um, a little bit of news that's kind of happening today. And as we record this on Wednesday afternoon, and again, sorry to not get this to you on Wednesday morning. It's news, but it's kind of not news for Ohio State because it's reaffirming something that was already known. But the Big Ten schedule kind of got thrown up into the air when they added USC and UCLA. The COVID stuff, when some games were canceled, actually threw off future schedules a little bit. Usually, and we're talking about years ahead, like four years ahead sometimes with the Big Ten schedule, but they knew that they were going to readjust. So here we are. Is it 2022? That sounds right. We knew that this the 2023 previous schedule had kind of been wiped from the books. On Wednesday afternoon, the Big Ten officially announced the schedules for what is going to happen in 2023. And it's kind of crazy that like the news of the day is there kind of is no news with Ohio State because their 2023 schedule is exactly as it was going to be anyway. So a lot of teams changed, kind of had did have real adjustments to their 2023 schedule, but you kind of knew nothing's going to change for Ohio State and then nothing did change. And that includes, Stephen, opening at Indiana. We have seen Ohio State sometimes, like when they did that with Minnesota last year, that was a Thursday night game. This is not scheduled as a Thursday night game at the moment. It doesn't seem like it will be. Nathan's saying it's not going to be a Thursday night.
2: Yeah, Minnesota's got that. Mm -hmm. Oh.
1: Good for them. So it's going to be a Saturday. Steven, like, is it better for Ohio State to open on a Saturday? They've they've done these one off things before. Should they? It's going to be on the road in
2: the Big Ten, but is Saturday better? Uh, This year it is because you're probably breaking in a new starting quarterback. Mm. And we saw kind of a similar thing last year with CJ having to go on the road on a Thursday night primetime game to play his first game. And it didn't look too hot for a half. And I understand, like, Kyle McCourts, if he wins the job, it's not going to be. A completely you know, apples to apples because he has at least started a game before and he's been in the program for three years at that point. But still, you want to put your player at the best advantage possible. It's already a road game. The, we'll find out that time heading into next season. But the fact that it's on a Saturday and it's going to be a normal routine for the most part, anything that gives your quarterback an advantage, you, especially a new starting quarterback, always helps. So just
1: because this is the kind of thing that talk radio likes to do, let's just do this real quick. We'll go through the entire 22 2023, 2023 schedule and say winner loss at Indiana, Nathan winter loss for Ohio state. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Youngstown state. Um, can, Nathan, can you <laughs> are they playing Penn state in like three days? They're asking whether Ohio state's going to beat Tulane in week three. I actually, there are people listening as though, who maybe don't have every Ohio state schedule memorized. Nathan, can you drop it on the folks? Just as a reminder, this is what 2023 is going to be?
0: I sure can. So September 2nd at Indiana, then the three straight non-conference games, uh, September 9th, Youngstown State, September 16th, Western Kentucky, those are both at home, and then the September 23rd trip to Notre Dame. This is a year where Ohio State plays two Big Ten West crossovers on the road, and then they also have the non-conference crossover. So it's a six-game home season for Ohio State in 2023. That'll be something that Gene Smith talks about as he related to the budget and stuff coming up in the coming months. Uh, October 7th against Maryland. October 14th at Purdue. First trip back to Purdue since the 2018 game that I'm sure everybody remembers. That is the one... I have not been able to completely verify this, but Gene Smith told me that they only play the Friday night games on the road on break. And break tends to be around that time. So it's possible, I think, that that could still end up as a Friday game. I think there's three Big Ten teams that have their off week that week and if they want a friday game maybe that would be in the mix but i don't i, I can't say either way for sure just something to keep in mind um october 21st the home against penn state october 28th at wisconsin so the the halloween weekend game next year will be in madison uh november 4th at rutgers november 11th home against michigan state november 18th home against Minnesota, which is a weird little wrinkle because it seems like in recent years there's been a Big Ten East or other somewhat prominent game in week 11 before the Michigan game. And this next year that it won't be a Big Ten East game It won't be another kind of semi rivalry game. But it's kind of an intriguing game, a home game against Minnesota, because that's a program that has a, I would say, a fairly high baseline. You don't expect them to be bad. And then uh, November 25th at Michigan.
1: There's a wrinkle this year that, like, I don't know that anyone would have seen it before the season and thought it. Michigan plays Illinois. Oh, right. The yeah. week before Ohio State, Michigan. Michigan plays Illinois. And that will just be interesting because I don't think I believe Illinois will beat Michigan, but could be a slog, could be a little physical. It's just, They're we've similar. seen that before, you know? Like, Ohio State, they played Michigan State in Week 11 before. They played Penn State in Week 11 before. I I do think, Stephen, that Week 11 game before your rivalry game, I, I really do think it can matter whether it tests you maybe a little more than you want going into the rivalry game or you get caught looking ahead somehow and all of a sudden someone's looking to trip you up in Week 11. I'm always very curious about who Ohio State's playing there.
2: Because they're so similar, and Illinois is actually pretty good this year, reminds me of the 2018 Maryland Ohio State game mm, where yeah. that game was a little more competitive than it should have been because it was the week before Michigan and Ohio State just like didn't at least their defense for like the 70 million of time that year didn't show up to play.
0: What Illinois is yeah. doing this year is sort of poor man's Michigan. Like play good defense, yes. run the ball, it's it's similar. So I like that's an intriguing matchup.
1: Cuz I do think going into the year you would have thought oh like Ohio State's getting Maryland again. Mm-hmm. In the week before Michigan, that could be an interesting game. They'll chuck it around, and maybe that still will be interesting. But actually, it turns out Illinois will be a tougher test, I think, in that window. And that's why everybody should just play the Citadel in the week before your rivalry game. Alabama got it right. All right. So we got nine questions. I'm not sure we'll get to all of them. Again, we're switching the rants and the rapid fire. 170 rants sent in. It's partly why I got delayed because I went through all of them and I love going through all of them. Some of the rants are kind of like questions. And so I turn them into questions and I bring them here when I think the discussion is better with the three of us doing it together. And I did want to do this about Julian Fleming. It's from the 330. I texted you guys this summer about Julian Fleming having a Johnny Dixon type career injuries to a big time contributor in a great offense. I've attached, uh, and then they said he sent the stats. Also, I love Johnny Dixon, so I mean this very much as a compliment to Julian. I know Fleming has the better NFL body, but having a college impact like Johnny is nothing to look down on. You know, this person is saying it's he's a big play guy. He's a third receiver. There's a lot of similarities here. Um, Johnny Dixon had two really rough years where you thought he was going to have to retire. Then he had a good year in 2017, eight touchdown catches, and then uh, an even more productive year in 2018. 2017, Johnny Dixon, 18 catches, 422, which is ridiculous. 23.4 yards per reception, eight touchdowns. 2018, 42 catches, 669, 15.9 yards per reception, eight touchdowns. You look, Stephen, at Julian Fleming so far this year. 17 catches, 327 yards, 19.2 yards per reception, six touchdowns. This is what I kind of want to get down to. The idea that, like... Not that this is all he can be, but that this is important, especially with Jackson Smith and Jigba out. Whether you think of Julian Fleming as the fourth guy when everybody's healthy or the third guy when Jackson's not playing, there's enough room in this offense for the ball to go around. What do you think of how Julian Fleming is fitting into this offense right now and how important his contributions have been and will be?
2: He's tied for fourth in the Big Ten in touchdown catches this year, and two of the three guys ahead of him play for his team. He scored a touchdown in every game he's played. And I think I liked the comparison when the Texas made it in the summer, and I love and I love it now because that's his role. Even when Jackson Smith Ojba comes back, Marvin Harrison's the freak, and he just kind of does whatever. And Emeka and Jackson have proven to be, you know, these really elite slot receivers, elite guys with the ball in their hands. But you need a guy who's just like a reliable touchdown magnet. And that's what Johnny Dixon was in 2018 for Dwayne Haskins. I missed what was going on with K.J. Hill and Paris Campbell and, and Terry McLaurin. Johnny Dixon was the touchdown magnet. And that's what Julian Fleming is for C.J. Stroud because they've clearly built some chemistry here. I, I, I think that stock is going up. Also, this is an interesting week for Julian Fleming because they're going back to Penn State. Which is who Ohio State beat out in that situation. And there were, even after he committed to Ohio State, there was a long time where it was like rumors that maybe he'd flip to Penn State. And I remember talking to him about that in high school. And he was just like, I'm not flipping. Let's move forward in the conversation there because that's not happening. And so there, I've, it's, he's kind of going back home a little bit. And so there's maybe an opportunity for him to have an even more of a breakout game than what he had last week with his first 100 yard game. But that plus, there's like a million narratives around like Julian Fleming is headed back to Penn State this weekend.
1: Yeah, I, I we'll have a, a little snippet of it. I was on with the Penn State guys on their podcast and we'll run of it run some of it on our game preview. And they were bringing that up, Nathan, right? The idea that twenty twenty, COVID year, there's no fans in, in in Beaver Stadium. This is like Julian Fleming going back home, and they kind of said like they wondered like if he'll get booed because they wanted him. You know, it's like it's it's one of those things of like you're our guy, you're our local kid, and you you pick the enemy. So that is an interesting week for him, Nathan. But I, I also think what he did against Iowa last week, that 79-yard touchdown at a moment when Ohio State needed it, is that an example? Is that like, yes, that that's how Julian Fleming can help this team, and maybe he'll do that in the playoff too.
0: I think it is easy to be kind of glib about receiver depth sometimes with Ohio State and just be like, well, they've got these three amazing starters. Like, who else? What, what, what does it matter when you – who else you rotate in i think that i don't know we necessarily described it that way before the season but now we're seeing how huge it is at every position but even at receiver when that fourth guy is like as good as anybody else the other team has like it, it can make an impact because you know i was the perfect example like i was doing things a lot of attention paid by riley moss to marvin harrison jr and a mecca buka too but Somebody else that opens things up for, for still for Julian Fleming. And just think of how different this game would be if Julian Fleming were playing for Penn State. And we don't know yeah. what how much Jackson Smith can play or if, if he'll be available at all this week. And, or, you know, e- take either of the Pennsylvania receivers on this team and flip them over to Penn State. And it changes this. So and I think that's just as true of Julian Fleming as it is of anybody else.
2: Or even the Pennsylvania five-star quarterback who's sitting on the bench right now. I, yeah. I think a good way to look to like uh, piggyback on what Nathan was saying about that third receiver, J- Jamison Williams wasn't doing this in 2020 when he was That's clearly true. the third receiver. And I mean, we Jamison went on to be what he was when he went yeah. to Alabama, but it's like Julian Fleming has made himself a factor in this offense to where like, I don't think we're just sitting here discussing like, hey, is Julian Fleming going to be in the portal in the spring?
0: Right. No, you know, and, and I did... Go ahead, Dan. If you take away the dozens of runs that Justin Fields had, that CJ Stroud doesn't, that would mean more receptions for for Williams. True, but I also think you mentioned the seventy nine yard touchdown, Doug. Like there's a there's an identity emerging for Julian Fleming here, and it's it's partially a a good um, just a confluence of all the things he has, all the skills he has, like the speed that we've always known he has, and then that size. They've made him this over-the-middle-of-the-field deep threat that I think Mm -hmm. C.J. Stroud now reliably sees as once a game, that home run is going to be there if they can connect on it. And if they don't, he is still a guy that can be counted on to – and it's somewhat ironic considering what has kept him off the field to this point, but just physically he can kind of take a beating and stay out there, you know, knock on wood. But his body type is an important mix for what they do offensively.
1: And listen, the, the discussion all preseason was a Mecca or Julian. Which guy is it going to be? And it's a Mecca. But that doesn't mean that Julian Fleming can't play a very important role in this team trying to win it all. And, Steven, that even includes if Jackson is back at full health. Because there are situations he's not going to completely vanish. Right, There will be times when Julian Fleming is mm-hmm. in the game. They will use him, and it is – and I think we, we've talked about this a decent amount. Sometimes – and, Stephen, you've talked about this. Like, there's idea. There's a body type. There's a thing that Heartline looks for. But one of the interesting things with this group is Julian's a little bit different than other guys. Mm-hmm. Marvin's a little bit different than other guys. And you can see the role, the skill set. There is room. And I think I questioned it before. What fourth receiver? Kind of what Nathan was saying. Like, ah, fourth receiver. I don't know. Hey, I'm the fourth receiver. It's like, No. I think, Steven, like, like the fourth receiver for Ohio State yeah. might have three catches for 81 yards in the semifinal as the fourth receiver.
2: It's been interesting watching the last three years. You've gone from two to three, and now we're at four. And this, I don't, maybe we'll get to five next year. Who knows? But I think Julian's body type, they do some different stuff with him, especially in the red zone. Like we know what Marvin is going to be on the other side of the X, but sometimes they'll line Julian Fleming in like almost as like a tight end. Because he can, he is such a physical blocker, but then you can pop him out for a touchdown pass and whatnot. But even when Jackson comes back, I think Julian can help Jackson as much as Jackson helps Julian because Nathan was mentioning he's a bigger body. So he's like a deep ball threat over the middle. Well, Jackson Smith, the jig was just like a threat over the middle, especially on those short passes. So like, defenses now have to pick are we going to take away the bigger body over the middle who might catch a 40-yard pass for a touchdown or do we take away the guy who's going to catch a four-yard pass and take it 40 yards for a touchdown so it's to Marvin Harrison's point of like you've got to kind of say your prayers a little bit it feels like Marvin and Emeka complement each other as one kind of pairing while Julian and Jackson kind of do the same thing and then they mesh it all together somehow
1: and it is just one of those things, Nathan, it's just a credit to a guy who's grinding it out, right? I mean, I just, I think we've talked about that, but you got to appreciate
0: it, that the way he's fought through everything and here he is. He's just been, since the preseason, like one of my favorite guys to talk to on this team. And part of it was just his, the the, the perspective that he has on that, that he isn't a guy that I think was forcing it. And I don't think he was a guy that was feeling sorry for himself. It was just like, here's the moment, here's what I can do. And here's what I'm going to try to get on the field and do every single day. And he's, you know, start of the year, the, the injury thing was still obviously trailing him a little bit, but it, it, it is good to finally see a guy get rewarded for just for, for persevering.
1: 2018 comparison, Paris Campbell, 90 catches, 1063, K.J. Hill, 70 catches, 885. Terry McLaurin, third in y- yardage, 35 catches, 701. Johnny Dixon, fourth in yardage that year, 42 catches for 669. It's not going to be quite that even to have a 1,000-yard guy in 800 to 700 to 600 because I do think maybe the, the league guys will be out a little bit more, but there's room. There's room. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the thing that we've noted, there's more room for all this stuff when your quarterback doesn't run. Dwayne didn't move. CJ doesn't move. There's room that's like, okay, well, here, 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 here. Take it. Take it. Steven, you wrote about the point guard stuff with CJ, right? You wrote that this week. Here, go. I don't want Mm -hmm. it. I don't want shots. And that makes shots for everybody else. So that's how you can make this happen. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about players that could get hot for the Buckeyes. Then we have to talk about backing into parking spaces. Next on Buckeye Talk. doug nathan and steven back i like this one kind of throws it up in the air from the 513 if you could pick one player to get hot right now who would it be and this person from the 513 says some plenty of people would pick trivia on henderson or one of the cornerbacks for me it's zach harrison him playing to his potential can be the key to a national championship for ohio state nathan Magic hot dust. Oh, I don't know. Or maybe like a hot, I guess it's like a rub, probably. Like a hot, like a balm. It's like it in interviews. It's like, I got a hot balm. Just let me just walk up and rub it on a guy's shoulder. Who are you going to rub that balm on? Because you want this Buckeye. Who should people want to get hot as a Buckeye?
0: First of all, I want to very quickly, I don't know if this is a binding legal contract, but like the trademark magic hot dust. So I get, it I get a piece like a- of that. Whenever somebody invents <laughs> it, whatever it is, I get a that little, yeah, like I just TM, TM, and TM. A, I trademarked it.
2: It sounds like marijuana. I'm just going to be I think that's how you.
1: trademarks work. Yeah, no, I, well, I mean, it could be, or it could be like a nice snack. Kind of like Fritos. Um, all right. Okay. Who, who do you want to
0: get hot, Nathan? Uh, so I think Zach Harrison already is hot. Like that was a pretty impressive game against Iowa. And he's had a couple games this year where people are like, hey, I think that's like the best game he's ever played. So that he's already kind of hot. I was, but as the texter said, the first names that came to my mind, were Trevion Henderson getting healthy and getting kind of locked in here in the second half, and Denzel Burke getting, putting that first half of the season behind him, getting what it seems like maybe increasingly healthy for himself, getting, you know, having the bye week, having a relatively low impact game against Iowa, and can he then sort of assert himself? We're recording this Wednesday afternoon. We are scheduled to finally talk to Denzel Burke Wednesday night. And I'm very curious what he's going to say.
1: And we will have a report on that on the Friday game preview show. Uh Steven, who do you think should get hot?
2: Nathan had two, so I'll choose two as well. One is a cornerback, Jordan Hancock. And he's like everything everybody thought he was in the offseason, in, reg- in the off season and now he's just healthy and he goes out there and does it. Cause then it's like, yes, Denzel Burke, you know, raises his play, but it's like, oh, this dude's a dude. I don't know if Denzel Burke is necessarily a dude. I think he's a very quality corner. I think Jordan Hancock might be a dude. So that, I'll start there. And then the second one is Jack Sawyer becomes a Leo at some point in the next couple hmm. of weeks. Because like, just what does that mean? Jim Knowles keeps talking about the fact that we've seen some good things from this defense. And we would, we, we've we talked about it, but we haven't seen it at its full strength. What this looks like when it's complete and I think part of that is whether it's blessing the safeties, all that stuff is great. But part of the complete defense is the position that he introduced to Ohio state's defense, the Jack turns into that Leo and Jack Sawyer has been the main guy running that with Jamante Jean Baptiste also getting some snaps there. But what if like something clicks for Jack in the next couple of weeks here? And, all of a sudden Jim Knowles is using him every which way possible that he uses that position and not necessarily what it means like against Penn State or, you know, Indiana, but what does that mean against Michigan? And what does that mean in a playoff game when this has just been unleashed onto the world? Because for whatever reason, it's clicked for Jock Sawyer in the second half of the season.
0: I do think that would be a, a later arrival. Like maybe they have to pull uh, that out for the Talia Tagavailoa matchup against Maryland. If he's playing again by then, but more Michigan Big Ten Championship game mm-hmm. playoff type thing. I was wondering, it's like,
1: they have a lot of guys who are playing pretty darn well. I was like, maybe it'll be hard to figure out like who should get hot. Um, but there's some good candidates here. I'm going to say, and maybe this guy's already hot too, I'm going to say Steel Chambers. He had a career-high 11 tackles against Rutgers. I think he's played well. But just if you think, like Michigan run game, the idea of like, Every time they hand the ball to Blake Corum, Steel Chambers is riding in piggyback. Like you can't get away from him. Tommy Eichenberg, we know how Tommy Eichenberg has played, right? But kind of as an in-space linebacker, I could see how that might matter. Chase Brown, Illinois, Big Ten Championship game. Tell Steel Chambers, like, don't let that guy get outside. Track him down, right? You get get in the playoff a little bit. Jameer Gibbs, right? Alabama, like I've, if if we get like to the point where, you know, like it's it's real, like it's real. Nick, And it could start with Nick Singleton in the Penn State run game this week, where, you know, Tommy Eichenberg. we know what Tommy Eikenberg is doing, but if it feels like Steel Chambers is all over the field, and I do think he's had a good year, but like even a next level of that, the way, and I do think Zach Harrison's the example. Like I think Zach Harrison, as you said, Nathan, is there. We've now seen what like the elevated Zach Harrison looks like. And it's like, oh, no, well, that was good before, but oh, my, no, this is a thing now. Who, who could be that level where, like, they're the best defensive player in a game that really matters the way Zach Harrison was last week?
0: I want to drop one more guy in there, and it's Donovan Jackson, just because he's coming off of what is probably his worst game, this Iowa game. Um, we're mm. going to talk to him also on Wednesday night. I'm going to see what he has to say about how he felt like he played. But I was looking at his pro football focus grades, and they were higher than I expected. And we've, again, p- full, full perspective on PFF grades, but th- I just feel like a guy, we've seen it so many times, the second year offensive lineman at the end of their second year and what that can mean if they get there healthy and get there with an opportunity. We saw it with Y Davis. We saw it with some other guys. Uh, he could be in that same ballpark to like raising it up to an even higher level.
1: All right. Let's talk about the staff here for a second. The coaching staff from the 440. I love the top end of the coaching staff. Who is the weak link? Where can we improve for next year? So the reason that this caught my eye, Nathan, is because it's a, cr- a chance to criticize people and there's nothing I love more. I'm just kidding. The reason it caught my eye is because – well, I'm not really just kidding about criticizing people. but it's not why it caught my eye. You got the staff evaluations recently. It's a Freedom of Information Act request that you, I just think, have in and say, hey, whenever these are available, I want them. Um, and there was something I think that you noted in a couple reviews. I think maybe we've talked about this, but I don't know if we talked about the other thing that is the is two of the younger guys on staff had a particular note that I found
0: interesting that you mentioned. So every one of these evaluations, and they are, they tend to be pretty basic because it says right up top public record. They know jerks like me, you're trying to get it and turn it into a post and spread it out to everybody. So uh, they, they are smart about, not putting viral things in there, but one of everyone has a space for the head coach's comments. And for both Parker Fleming and Corey Dennis, it said be the hardest worker on the staff. Now that could be because he feels like he has to put three things for everybody and whatever, but it it did hit my ear, my eyes that he was saying that about the two youngest guys. If I had to pick in, The spirit of this question, it wouldn't necessarily be because of the job that either of those guys are doing, but that's the change I would make. I think that it would make a whole lot more sense if you either didn't have a quarterback's coach and you had an extra defensive position or you spread up the special teams duties and use that for another defensive position coach. As good as the defense has been this year, that still feels like the side of the ball that they are thinnest on in terms of the staff. And I I wonder if especially if Corey Dennis were to ever leave, like he goes to be an OC somewhere, would they hire another quarterbacks coach, or would they let just Ryan Day's the quarterbacks coach, and now you can allocate that position
2: to defense? I think Corey Dennis Corey Dennis's role on this team is to be a recruiter, and like do the grunt legwork of the recruiting. So I think they would hire another quarterbacks coach, and I think he would do the exact he'd hire a younger guy, just like around Corey Dennis's age because he can. He's got the energy to go do that type of stuff. Um, I would definitely get rid of Parker Fleming. And it's like one, because a lot of stuff that Nathan was saying, but then also I just don't think the special teams has been very good this year. There have been a couple of times where like, if they're facing a better athlete, they've given up a kick return.
1: Yeah. It's a very interesting, well, it's a moderately interesting discussion. I, let me tell you, I think it's a four part series about special teams coaches. Oh my God. Uh, hey,
0: gotta, we were like, put something up here in May. Yeah. I
1: know. Because um, I, I was reading something. I think currently Matt Campbell at Iowa State was getting a bunch of questions this week. I just saw a tweet. It's always one of those things, right? Where it's like, hey, read our stories. And then everybody's like, oh, did you read that story? It's like, I saw a tweet. So I saw a tweet. And I think it's that they don't have a special teams coach and their special teams are ranked low. And people were saying, Iowa State, why don't you have a special teams coach? So this was something that happened with the advent of the 10th coach a couple of years ago. I feel like it opened. Ohio State didn't have a specialized special teams coach before that. They split it up. You know, there'd be four different assistants who all have one of the things. Punt, punt, cover, kick, return, kick, cover. And you'd have your unit that you were in charge of. But now they've gone to this and I don't know, Nathan, what the breakdown is nationally or in the power five of how many teams. If you read the list of assistant coaches, how many are you're the special teams coach and how many don't have that? Because to me, especially with the way this staff is with, you know, Ryan Day is an offensive guy and you have a bunch of I think like you could use another defensive voice. But, but I don't know, like, is it possible that if you didn't have a special teams coach, that would, that would be a mistake. But I think to Steven's point, it's not like they're great at it. It's not that it doesn't feel like it matters that much. I don't feel like they, uh, there's someone else asked a question somewhere that was like, why, you know, a Mecca book as a punt returner. And it's like, I just don't think they care. They just want someone who's going to catch the ball so the offense can get on the field. The kick return basically doesn't exist anymore kick coverage you can't really angle the kick and try to pin people down as much and i think punt coverage is the most important part of special teams right now and they don't punt that much mm-hmm. so and now it's like well then what is parker, well, then what is parker fleming doing so i don't know nathan like logistically whether what the right answer is for ohio state have a special teams coach or not
0: You're correct that that it was a big change to go from 9 to 10. Because back in the days of 9, there were a lot of programs that just didn't have a special teams coordinator. And I would think that you could... I mean, there's enough guys on this staff now between Jim Knowles and Kevin Wilson and whoever else who have a lot of experience and have had to deal with special teams in the past at some level. You could split up each of these little things. And frankly, they've got so many GAs and stuff now, too, that a lot of that stuff because that's what Parker Fleming was doing before. That's what Corey Dennis right. was doing before. They were lower level staffers, but they were so involved that it was supposedly an easy progression for them to go from there to full-time position coach, special teams coordinator, whatever. So I just think you could solve it some other way. And it really, to me is not about Parker Fleming's job performance. It's about what is the smartest allocation of resources when you have a finite number of guys that you get to
2: use. And from that standpoint, That matters right now because they can only have 10 if, like, there's been talks of getting rid of that. If that happens, then this conversation is kind of irrelevant because, like, oh, we have a special teams guy, but we also have, like, two defensive line coaches, two, I mean, like, guys like Riley Jeffords and Keenan Bailey aren't just, like, GAs and head QCs. They're, like, assistant coaches on the roster. So this might only even be a discussion for another six months.
0: Yeah, how big are those yeah. coaching staffs going to be? It's going to be like, well, Larry oh, Johnson is our defensive line coordinator, and then we have a defensive ends coach and a defensive line yeah. coach, and then Jim Knowles is the linebackers coordinator, but we have a Will linebackers coach and a Mike linebackers coach, and then an associate. The Names are
2: going to be fun.
0: <laughs> Third slash fourth linebacker coach. We have a Leo <laughs> coach. a going coach. be going to be like seven
2: coach. assistant associate head coaches on this roster. Left I'm cornerback the head coordinator. Yeah, I'm the, yeah, right I'm the cornerback head coach coordinator. You are the head coach of the left tackles. You are the left the co- mid- coach of the left guards. You are the left Mitch coach. Rossi.
0: <laughs> Mitch Rossi Memorial fullback coordinator. <laughs> yeah.
1: Because there's, there's nothing more that college football needs than more middlemen. That's what everybody says. It's like, ah, <laughs> oh, you look down on the sideline,
2: and I think to myself,
1: shouldn't there be more assistants?
2: Oh, there's listen, stuff in the I,
1: rants about that this week about us.
2: I don't know if it'll impact much on game day. I think things will still work the same there. It's just it's more like in practice. Like if we're in there for a spring practice, there's going to be 45 million guys just working with Court.
1: But and, I also you know, think Gene it Smith, might be like every position has like the coach and then they have the recruiter for that position and they're both yeah. assistants. Yeah,
0: but, that could that could very much be something that And like Gene Smith has been talking a lot about every conversation we have with him whether it's about Ohio Stadium Something else, it's about, well, hey, the revenue structure is about to change in college sports, and we've got to get out in front of it. I think this is one more. I mean, they just crossed some important thresholds as far as being like the spending the most on their staff in the country and paying $2 million almost for Jim Knowles. I think he knows that that expenditure is probably going up in the next couple of years, so revenue has to go up along with it somewhere.
1: Sorry, this Diet Coke is $11, but we need nope. 23 assistant coaches.
0: I, I don't yep. know what to tell you. We <laughs> got to
1: keep up with Bama. They have 23, so we have to have 23.
0: But it's more to the point. The thing I reported about how there's going to be a stadium upkeep fee that goes along with the tickets in the coming years, that just allows them to take the money that's going to stadium upkeep right now and shift it somewhere else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy to wrap your head around. All right, let's have a parking space debate here. From the 614, again, this started off as a rant. Our guy Phil from Galena. Can I rant about parking? Are you guys back into every parking space, guys? I'm not sure it's healthy how much it annoys me to watch people do that three-point turn to carefully back into every space they see. Does every car need to be parked like a bank is being robbed? It may be that my direct neighbor's... Uh, back both of their cars into their garage every night. Maybe it's that I'm not good at doing it myself and it looks like a flex. I'm not sure why, but it annoys me. Buckeye talk. This text could have been written by me. I could not identify this. That's exactly what I say. Are you a getaway car driver? Why are you backing in? But we have on this podcast, and it is why I saved it for when the three of us were here, we have a backer inner in our midst. Steven means, please try to help those of us who are not backer inners understand why people back into a
2: parking spot. Because you don't want to back out on your way out and not be able to see and get into an accident. It's honest. That's the reason I do it. And I've done it now. I've always done it. I do it more now that I have a car that has like the back camera window. So, a uh, mirror camera so it's actually easier to do it now i don't know if it needs three points i think you should be able to just do it pretty seamlessly but yeah it's just because i don't feel like pulling out on the way out it's the same reason why people do pull through parking
0: but now that you have a car that has the backup camera doesn't that also make it easier to back out without getting into an accident
2: yes but i can't control what other moving cars are sometimes doing i because I would
1: be, uh, I'm, I'm more nervous about backing into one of the cars in the spaces than I am about backing mm, into somebody no. out. I'm not
2: ever worried about hitting the park car. Have you ever hit a park car when you were backing into not. the spot? N- never. I-, <laughs> I like that you
0: had to follow up with that because it's very <laughs> yeah. much in keeping with in keeping That's with rare. some of the other conversations we've had here. Like I wasn't wrong. I just.
2: Yeah, like I, yeah. That's what, had I actually hit a parked car before, everything I was saying before would have been invalid. But no, I've never hit a parked car. I'm not it's, worried it's about pulling,
0: hitting a parked car because I'm still driving. Because <laughs> pulling
2: <laughs>
1: pulling through is a freebie. Pulling right. through is you get the best of both worlds. I didn't have to back in, and now yep. also if I happen to rob a bank, I'm here. But the backing in, I mean, if it, I guess if it's super busy. In a parking lot, and you're like, I won't, Man, if I'm yeah. trying to back out, there's a million cars. But like at, at Meyer, is there's usually enough room to back
2: out. I'm okay. So I won't – I'm not arrogant about it, unlike of some other things. Like when we're parking in the, uh, in the Tuttle garage or on the way to the stadium, I'll just pull in. I'm not doing all that because one, that's how like the parking is set up where you have to, it's yeah. where you're going. So I'm not going to do the most to try to back in park in those situations. So I'll just pull in in those situations. If it's a busy parking garage or a busy parking lot, I'm not going to completely disrupt traffic just so I can back in. Or if you are a back in person and you're like going to the grocery store, don't park up close, park far away because typically there's yeah. less cars. So it, it lessens the chance of you hitting a parked car, but also you're just not in people's way. But I do agree with the general vibe of the texture that this is a thing that
1: frankly has no bearing on your life. Why do you care how somebody parks? Mm. But when I see someone backing in, I want to scream at them. Why are you doing that? Are you not I good at that? it? I just it never would cross my mind because mm. it just seems more difficult to me to do it in between two parked cars rather than now I'm backing out into the world and like, "Well, okay, if there's traffic there, they they see that I'm coming, I do it slowly." Um, it is a picadillo. It is one of those things. I think like you guys have seen this stuff. Do you ever Google this when it's, (laughs) I don't know if I should talk about it. I guess it's always one of those things. If I'm questioning whether I should talk about it on Buckeye Talk, I should just talk about it, right? But you've Googled, like, how do you wipe? Like, are you, do you sit or do you stand? And you find out that like, you think that the way you do it is the way everybody in the world does it. And then you Google it and they've done studies and it's like 50, 50, how people take care of business at the end of the show. And so that this is like that to me. Are you a backer inner or not a backer inner? You think what you do is normal, and then you go out into the world and you ask everybody else, and you're like, what? It's split? So I would be curious for like the Pew Research Foundation or something else, instead of like, you know, doing important surveys about American society, ask how many people back into a parking spot. But you guys have definitely Googled that, the other thing, right? Sometimes you just want to know. Don't you guys Google that? How do you finish your business? No, never. No. Oh, there's lots no. of information about it. Actually, it's quite a good rabbit there, hole to go down.
0: As a as a new parent, they give you some instructions to make sure you're wiping your child correctly, and that's more important for one gender than the other. Yes, I get to be on the lazy gender side of that, but I have never checked it for myself.
2: Um, I don't even know how to contribute to this conversation anymore.
1: <laughs> I was about. I thought <laughs> I she knew- was going to be like. Seems going to be like, I've never gone to the bathroom. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I know that there's a big debate about whether the toilet paper, when I was growing up, this was like a Reader's Digest kind of thing, like this yeah. debate about should the toilet paper hang over or under on the on the roll? Over. I didn't know that we had gone so advanced that it was, uh, how are you, are you wiping yourself paper? correctly? Yeah. Oh, no.
1: I, I, anyone listening to this, Google it as soon as you're done with the podcast, and you'll find some great information. It's just the best how, how humans operate.
0: I do know there's a lot out there that, that humans actually go to the bathroom incorrectly. That it, you, the, the sitting at like a ninety degree angle is a, a, a bad. We should have a different apparatus. You gotta to
2: buy the little stool here. thing that you put your feet up on. Mike, how children? short are you? No, 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 no. Sto- <laughs> no, It's not. It's not to like prop you up. It's just to like have your legs up.
1: Oh, Mike, Mike, mm. we yeah. have a stool in my house. And I was like, I'm kicking it out of the way because I'm I'm a giant and and I don't. Need it, but I would I would like a, a a toilet that was more like a lazy boy, that like yeah yeah it turns, just, it, that's if you what I'm just saying cut a hole cut a hole in a lazy boy and now that's your toilet now
2: we're talking yeah, Now we're talking about Christmas that's what this, like, that's what this dog stool dog. does I'm not saying a stool to like yeah. stand up and you know it's when you're you know handling when you're gonna be there to read a magazine for a little bit yeah that
0: sounds like a DIY project for you to do in your garage once you get rid of all these books
2: just,
1: <laughs> I could see myself <laughs> I would just cut. I would cut a hole in the Lazy Boy and just be like, done. And in like a week, it'd be like, what's that smell? It's like, you're just- (laughs) A week? (laughs) It it would take a week. (laughs) I can remember. So like reading in the bathroom is such a pleasure. I was like Pavlov's dog back in the day. Like when I was in middle school, it was usually on a Thursday, I think. I think Sports Illustrated came on a Thursday- and if I got home and Sports Illustrated was in the mailbox, I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. Like it was,
2: it was like, where else? How else could I read Sports Illustrated?
0: Or am I gonna sit on the couch? Trained.
2: Every time you saw a magazine, it was time to go. <laughs> or am I gonna sit on the couch
1: like a lunatic? I'm gonna go to the bathroom. I'm gonna I'm gonna do two things at once here. That's all oh, the days. That was can you remember that? I mean, Steven, I guess you Nathan. Oh yeah, coming home from school and Sports Illustrated's in the mailbox. Oh my! Oh, yeah. What was better than that?
0: Oh. Even in the bathroom for an hour and a half, it's like, well, Gary Smith's writing about yeah, I yeah, did or but, whatever. Like, where am I? Sp- what else? What was, am I supposed to do? It was compelling. <laughs> my my I legs, are, I, my my body's asleep from the waist down. <laughs> I've just been dangling my legs <laughs> over the edge here, reading about you know Rick Riley profiling uh, you know Pete Sampras or whatever.
1: I hope there's somebody out there who's like. Oh, there's a new Buckeye Tech episode. I gotta go to the bathroom. I hope
2: just one, <laughs> just one
1: would be enough.
2: No, some we it's just like, got a new listener today who thought they were tuning in to hear about football, and instead they're hearing about. No, I always you do, do feel bathroom. Bad.
1: I, you do really have to think about like. Imagine if this was the first time I was on real quick today with uh, Ari Wasserman and Andy Staples to talk about the Kirk Ferentz stuff, and obviously having done hundreds of podcasts with Ari. I was like in the waiting room for the podcast and I got in there and the first thing I heard Ari say was I saw an Amish person at the airport and it was like, Oh, okay. Like, this is what happened. It's like, Oh, I'm going to tune in this college football podcast today. It's like, Nope, no football talk here. All right, let's do um, a quick break. And we'll finish up Buckeye talk after this.
2: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it.
1: All right. So we have a question about the brotherhood. It is something that we don't typically discuss, but this person um, has a a very in-depth question about it. And so I thought it was worth us kind of analyzing this a little bit. It's from the four one nine. All reporters ever talk about are stats. Ohio State is number one in this. Ohio State is number five in that. When Punxsutawney Phil goes to the bathroom on the north side of his cage on January 27th, Ohio State wins by an average of 32.6 points. Look, I want the stats as much as the next guy. We gotta have them. They tell us if we can even can win the Natty, but they don't tell us if we will. In my opinion, the Bucks may very well be the best team in the country this year, but not by a lot. Not so much that we're a lock for the Natty. I still think that this year is anyone's year amongst the top five teams, which leads to the winning factor, heart, the brotherhood. Do they truly want it more than the other teams? I think that's ultimately why we got beat by Michigan last year. They wanted it more. That's why we schooled the Badgers 59-0 in 2014. It's why we beat Bama in 2014. That's why the 1980 men's hockey team is the miracle on ice. They wanted it more and they had at least enough talent to get it done when everything was on the line. This Buckeyes team has the talent done known the looming question. Do they want it? Yes, you can and should steal this script idea and write a story about it. Break away from your other statty stat, blah, blah, blah reporters. I have a feeling I'm not the only Buckeye fan who really wants to know about this. How strong is the brotherhood? Do they really, really want it this year? So, They like to talk about the brotherhood a lot. And sometimes my eyes glaze over when they talk about the brotherhood, but it's not nothing. Now there is a minimum level of talent that you can want it more than the other guy. But if the other guy is 30 pounds heavier, six inches taller and twice as fast, it doesn't matter how much you want it. It doesn't matter how much the three of us and our eight friends want it. We're not going to get on the field and stop the Ohio state offense. But Nathan, what is the right approach to this conversation how does it apply to a team like Ohio State that does certainly have the minimum level of talent you need for this discussion?
0: It's one of those questions where I don't want to disrespect the fans and that that want to believe in this. But here's the thing. The Brotherhood has existed, according to the Ohio State players and coaches, for a while now and it didn't make them immune to losing to Purdue in 2018. It did not make them immune to that Iowa loss in 2017. It did not make them immune to getting blown off the field by Alabama in the national championship game. It didn't make them immune. I mean that last year that was a team that was close and it was, they talked about the brotherhood and it helped them, I guess, bounce back from the Oregon loss, but it didn't make them immune from the Michigan loss. And the the brotherhood is an important thing. Uh, a lot of programs have their own version of that. And I think it matters a lot in recruiting and like in building that sense of togetherness and guys wanting to be part of the program. Uh, and it's a, it's a brand that you can sell a little bit, but football things decide the football games. So I guess what maybe the, the, this texter is asking is does the brotherhood make a difference in the football things, either the commitment that players have, um, and I would still say I, I don't think it is just a – it's not an emotional thing. I think that this team is playing good defense because it a guy came in with a better approach to defense, and when players saw results, they bought into that and are now replicating them. And I don't think that is in any way a consideration of the brotherhood. I think this team puts up a lot of points and yards because it has the best players in the country. I don't think those things are really affected by the concept of the brotherhood. So that's why I think I, I'm I'm in line with you where I don't dismiss because I hear players talk about it all the time. Like why'd you choose to come here? Why'd you pick this place over another place? And that brotherhood is a word that they use to describe something larger that they felt a connection to in this program. I don't think it's going to decide whether or not they win any football games this year.
2: I think last year both sides were true. Because Yes, like sometimes you lose a football game because like the other team just had a better scheme than you and they just played better than you that day. But Ohio State got pushed around last year in the trenches. And there is a level of that that is just kind of effort. There's scheme involved. Obviously, there's blocking schemes and yes, all that football stuff. The football things win and lose football game. But there's also just like you lined up and like one team just pushed you around. And that's what happened against Minnesota for a lot of that game. That's what happened against Oregon. And quite frankly, that's what happened against Minnesota. And that's why Josh Gattis could come out and say a month after the game that we knew we could be physical with them because they were a finesse. This is not quote for quote, but basically calling Ohio State a finesse team and we could just be out more physical than them. That has not, that's not a football thing. That's like a mind. That's where like, I want it more than you shows up. I want it more for you shows up in winter workouts when you're doing mat drills and like, you're, trying to, you're playing tug-of-war with a tire, and it doesn't really matter at that point who's stronger. It's about who wants it more, and that shows up in the trenches more than anything else, and I think that's what this fan is getting at, is it didn't feel like that part of it showed up just as much as the schematics and everything else, the football stuff, wasn't in play as well. You added that extra layer of Aiden Hutchinson put Thayer Munford on his behind, and Aiden Hutchinson did this to Dewan Jones, and, Aiden Hutch- and David Ajabo did this, and Hassan Haskins had five touchdown runs, and C.J. Vidal did whatever he wanted, and Muhammad Ibrahim did whatever he wanted up until the moment he got hurt. That's, I think, what this fan is getting at a little bit, and that stuff does matter in those moments. I think when it's three straight run plays and you don't get a single yard, but you're going backwards to start a second half, that's just as much football sch- schematics as it is, like, who wanted it more in that moment? And it did feel like, as from a fan perspective, they probably feel like as much as it was our defense is bad and really the only thing good about our offense is that we can throw the ball, is when you take the schematics out of this situation, Michigan wanted to win that game more than Ohio State did last year. And it shows up in a moment like Cameron Brown is literally fighting the entire Michigan team by himself. And it's like, where's everybody else at?
0: I think... One, th- this just kind of came to my head. Like, Doug, in the time that you've been covering this program, has there been any assistant, or there probably be a short list of assistants who are more about the brotherhood than Kerry Combs was? Like, he is like almost like walking, talking, living it brotherhood guy. Like, you know, uh, committed to the team and uh, all that stuff. Yeah, maybe right high, fickle, like, fickle. Then, ma- Fickle, and fickle, Larry's right, kind of right. like that too. But That's like his requirement. Larry's kind of like that. Larry's yep. similar, yeah. So it's a short list of and none of that mattered when it was his turn to coordinate the defense and he didn't do a good job of it. Like I think you know what I'm saying, like I think that it's it's not again, not saying it has no impact, but the I don't think it I can't cross it over in my mind to being why football things do or don't happen. I think if Ohio State just executes better against Michigan, it wins that game. It doesn't matter about Th- this kind of nebulous who wanted it more thing.
1: I do think Stephen, the most interesting thing you said was the thing with Cam Brown at the mm-hmm. end that it did feel like it's was kind of like, what that, that was a little bit weird. I, I do think there's something in there, but I, I don't think I wouldn't say that like, Oh, well, why did Ohio state beat Michigan? Whatever it was 11 out of 12 times. It's like, well, yeah. those 11 times Ohio state wanted it more, but this one time, Ohio, uh, Michigan wanted it more. And, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo had their way with Thayer Munford and Nicholas petit Frere, And Aiden Hutchinson was the second pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. Ojabo would have been a first rounder if he didn't get hurt at the combine. And Nicholas Petit-Ferrer and Thayer Munford were third and fourth rounders. So the other guys were better. I, I don't know mm-hmm. that it means they didn't want it more. And yeah. I don't know that I've ever heard like a team come in and be like, you know what? The other team wanted it more, but we still beat them because we were more talented. It's Like it's, you apply after the fact wanting it more to
2: whoever won. Yeah. It, That's it's what ne- we do, right? It's never like the, top five reasons why a team wins or loses a game ever. It's like this extra layer of like thing. Cause it's like, all right, did you just lose? Cause that team was better than you or did you get pumped?
0: Yeah, I was, it, this might be a bad analogy, but I talked to Luke Lachey, Iowa tight end last mm-hmm. week for a piece that I wrote by him and Jim Lachey. And one of the questions I asked him was, listen, you grew up in a house that was Ohio state football top to bottom. Like your dad was an all American. You had an uncle who played there. All these people like you, you, it's just Ohio State football 24/ 7 so like when in your mind can does that flip over and he's like well as soon as you commit to a place it's the transition's over like you are a Hawkeye it is like he is Hawkeye top to bottom now even though he has you know he was born and bred and raised 18 years to be an Ohio State Buckeye not that he was planning to be there but you know what I'm saying like just inside it and we're talking about someone who wasn't a player I, I know it's that where the analogy breaks down but all I'm saying is that every program, has their version of the Brotherhood. Iowa has its version of the Brotherhood. Like he as soon as he visited there, he was like, no, this is like I feel like this is the family I should belong to. I am locked in. They may not all brand it that way. Why Ohio State won 54 to 10 on last week isn't because Ohio Iowa has a weak brotherhood. It's because they have a weak administration slash head coach slash offensive personnel group.
1: I do think much like the talent level, there's a minimum talent level you must have to be great. I do think there's a minimum brotherhood level. So like, I think Ohio State has it. I, I, I don't know, like the Ohio State has never been a, a disaster that, that I've been around like 11 in 2011. I think there was like, there were some guys left on the team who sort of resented the guys who were involved in the tattoo scandal and got suspended. And it, I think some of those guys felt like those other guys kind of torpedoed there last year. And I do think there was some splintering there and Luke tried to hold it together the best that he could, but it was kind of jacked up. And and I, and I think that's real. I, like that team, they were missing a lot of talent, but they they probably could have been better than six and seven, right? They still have a bunch of pretty good players. It's Ohio State. And I do think like, I think if you ask Texas, right? If Shahan J. Haraja, my co-host on the College Football Survivor Show, was here and we said, what's the brotherhood like at Texas? I think he would be like, the brotherhood at Texas has been jacked for a mm-hmm. decade. And like they have Bijan Robinson. They have Quinn Ewers. They have Xavier Worthy. And like they can't get out of their own way because they don't even know what they're doing. And that's what Steve Sarkeesian is trying to rebuild. And I do think you could have very talented places, Stephen, where it's like, nope. Like the lack of brotherhood is starting is stopping this before it can even start. And and like I don't know if you would say Michigan was lacking brotherhood in all the years it lost to Ohio State. I just think they weren't as talented probably. I don't know. Maybe there was some splintering there. But I do think you can look at talented teams that don't have it and it's like that's a problem. But I think there are a, a good chunk of talented teams that also have the brotherhood and then it's about get on the field and do the football. Yeah, but I do you, I don't want to completely dismiss the brotherhood part.
2: It's it's not a 50-50 ratio, but you need both. Because we're calling we're calling it brother because we're talking about Ohio State. What we're talking about here's identity. Like what is your team's identity? And you brought up Texas, I'm going to bring up Texas and them. They've got a top 5 top 10 recruiting class yeah. pretty much every year that Jimbo's been there and they just signed the number 1 recruiting class ever like in the history of recruiting rankings. And look at their record. Because like all that talent doesn't mean anything if there's no identity there. And that's what felt like was missing at like the, the football, It's like, in for Ohio State last year, it was the fact that they didn't have either the, the schematics, the football stuff wasn't there, but you also had like dudes quitting in the middle of football games and throwing their equipment into yeah. the stands. No, so
1: no, it, no, this is stuff that I think you're, this is the stuff that is real to me. Yeah. Like there there it, were it, a couple things last year
2: when you're winning. And you don't have an identity, it's okay. You can like almost look past the the brotherhood stuff and overrate it a little bit. But when you're losing and that stuff is happening, it's like, okay, what's going on with this program? Is there something internal and when you kinda asked that after the Akron game to today, you're like, is there you had a player transfer in the middle of the week and you had another guy from that same position room literally quit the team and was tweeting terrible things about your team in the middle of the game. Is there something going on? and behind the scenes here that we don't know about. Now obviously he did what he was supposed to do and downplayed it, but then after the season, what did they do? They start talking about all this leadership stuff that they didn't have last year and how they have all these leadership committees and so it's 80% football. But I think that 20% identity, culture, all that stuff it's a pretty heavy 20% even if it's only 20%. I do think
1: that point, Nathan, that there are the little things, right? That I, this program wasn't a disaster, but I, do, I, I the Kayvon Pope thing was weird. And sometimes in the moment, you don't want to put too much into something. But if Ohio State had a player, and I don't know, I think in most years, right? If Ohio State had a player quit the game in the middle of a game, I think you'd be like, well, I'm very, very surprised by that because it seems like this is a pretty stable program. But, but maybe there were a couple little indications last year that – again, it's – Aiden Hutchinson's is number two pick in the draft, right? I, th- I think it's mostly that. They had three first-round talents on defense at Michigan, and like it's it's mostly that. And Blake Coram's a baller and that kind of thing. And Asan Haskins is a really good player. I think it's mostly that. But I think maybe by the Ohio State standard, Nathan, last year was a, a little bit of a brotherhood dip, and maybe they're just back on the, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I just think, I, that, I think the, I think the cam Brown thing in the Michigan game and the cave Pope thing previous
0: to that, I think, I think are little indications. Well, that specific example was guys that probably should have just transferred out before the season and both him and Dallas Gant, who wasn't causing problems by any means, but both those guys transferred out pretty early in the season. and, were not like long-term issues. Like again, that I I don't necessarily feel like that was like a festering thing that followed this team all season. Um, And I still just think like you, I, I, there was a route to winning that Michigan game. That was just execution on the field.
1: Yeah, no. And I think that's also true. It is. It's, I think 80, 20 is about right. I think minimum standards are probably right. I don't know that Ohio state dipped below the minimum standard of brotherhoodness last year, but, but, Maybe it was slightly lower than it often is. Um, and also, like, you know what's really fun and awesome? Winning. They lost their second game last year. They were like, what? And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it goes south on you. So I think it's it's sort of like expectations, and everybody tries to avoid letting the expectations affect them they all get affected by it it's why coaches blame the media for saying teams are going to be good it's like expectations and then whether you meet them or not and then that create that's how much you buy in because all of a sudden it's early on and you feel like the season's already a failure and that, I mean I, I do think there's a component of that but also it was hard to block Aiden
0: Hutchinson mm-hmm. well like you said before too a lot of this stuff gets applied in retrospect. So it's like, oh, why did that team struggle? Well, like maybe there was a, a, a wrinkle in the brotherhood. Or like, why did that team do better than expected? Like, oh, well, it was the brotherhood. Like, you know, the, the examples you're bringing up, like Texas or what's going on at Texas A&M right now. Like, it's a chicken before the egg thing, I suppose. But like, those are places where there was losing. And it's easier for things to go south where there's, you know what I mean? Like, you can almost apply that in retrospect, too. That like, they were losing, so then that caused... Uh, harmony problems. No,
1: I think that's right. Yeah,
0: which which came before? Like
1: expectations plus losing equals bad culture. I'm not sure that it's. Yeah. I'm not sure that it's bad culture equals losing. I think it's more like, hey, we're gonna right. be good. Oh no, we're not good.
0: Oh, screw this. So it's the correlation causation yeah. thing. Like which one is? Which one is it coincidental that that happened and which one is like one led to the other? And
1: it's one of those things. There's what we can say on the outside. It's like they talk about it a lot. Seems like it matters to them. I don't know, right? And so some of it's coach speak. Some of it's just motivating 18 to 22-year-olds, and we get it. Um, But certainly there is a motivational aspect to life. And to sports. And when people believe in something, they work harder. And when you work harder, you usually get better at something. And when you're better at it, you have a better chance at success. So of course I, that matters.
0: I will say the one aspect that I think does matter is accountability. And that is something that they specifically addressed yeah. or tried to address in the winter and in the summer with some of the things they did, the leadership committees and stuff. That's probably worth revisiting on our part of how is that showing up on the field right now, where they felt like there was a um a slip there last year and it maybe showed up in something like the Michigan game and so how did they address that and is that having residual impact right now on the field I I will go that far as to say that you know holding each other accountable and knowing a guy's going to show up and do his job is important for any line of work
2: and and for what it matters like I mean that kind of shows up with there's a lot of guys who are returning captains from last year's team who like aren't captains this year, like a mm. decent number of guys. And that puts yeah. Nathan's point that plays into something that like, maybe some of these guys who everybody thought were those people who were going to be holding people accountable actually didn't do that. And so now yeah. like, and it's also, it's
1: that, also easier to hold people accountable when you're playing a lot and playing at a high level yeah. yourself. So yeah. it can be hard to do it when you're not playing. Um, okay. That will do it for this. Look for the Rants on Thursday. Look for the Ohio State-Penn State game preview on Friday. We'll have a little dose of some Penn State writers on with us for that. Look for the T-Shoe Betting the Buckeyes gambling show on Friday. And then, of course, post-game pod Saturday after the game, Ohio State at Penn State in Beaver Stadium. It's a noon kickoff on Fox. We will be there to cover it for you guys for now. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was... Fuck